So today we're uh, asking the question, uh, what's your cloak and where is it spread? These are the two questions that really popped into my head uh, this week as I'm thinking about Palm Sunday. Uh, as a kid, uh, the church I went to, um, churches I went to, uh, we used to get these little palm branches. Uh, that, they got shipped to us, and during the service, we'd all shake our palm branches and kind of reenact things, and it was, it was kind of fun. Uh, it's kind of cool. Uh, so maybe we'll do that uh, someday as well. So we're talking about this, and let's get into the teaching today. The text that we're looking at this is where we are. So after telling the story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden it untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord's need it. The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments on it, over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen following Jesus. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. Now, just want you to be real aware here. These are people saying, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, well, Jesus wasn't king. Uh, he was some peasant guy that was well known for his work up in Galilee. And now they're saying, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, this could be seen as a generic thing, but it sure seems to be focused on Jesus, which would be incredibly challenging to the authorities who were uh, in Jerusalem at that time, which led to this. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that, because they knew that could cause some real trouble uh, with Rome. And Jesus replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road <clears throat> would burst into cheers. So let's be nerdy for a moment and just identify some things in this text that are worth noticing. Uh, first, we have Jesus who tells his disciples, go into this town and you see this colt and young donkey and uh, grab it. And if they ask you, just say the master needs it. Well, I think this simply means that this was a prearranged thing. Uh, that at some point Jesus had been down in that area before and uh, knew kind of how he wanted to enter into Jerusalem in a very specific way, uh, which we'll get to in a second. And so he prearranged it. He didn't leave his transportation <laughs> in this way in the hands of the disciples for a very good reason. And the reason he didn't let the disciples pick what kind of ride he was going to roll in on uh, on that big day is because he knew the disciples would probably screw it up. Uh, the disciples more likely would have found a beautiful stallion, you know, a war horse. Uh, put Jesus on that, high and majestic. Let him march into town on that kind of a ride, you know. Uh, come, on a, come in a Hummer, not a Ford Pinto, right? <laughs> because that's the contrast we need to see. Hummer, Ford Pinto. And the reason why Jesus wanted to come in that way is because Jesus was stating very clearly, I'm coming in peace. 
I'm coming in peace. Now the whole donkey riding in and having people throw their garments down. Uh, we see evidence of this uh, in the Old Testament where a king, you know, was ushered into Jerusalem in a very similar way. So we can't miss that. Uh, we know that uh, these people who are crowding the streets, his followers who've been celebrating and following him for so long, they're saying to Jesus, you are our leader. Uh, we're, we're following you. We are with you. We've been with you. And we are with you now uh, to see where this thing goes. And they recognize the cult. And they recognize that that completely resonated with the way Jesus interacted with the whole world. He was a peace guy. He was a nonviolent resistor guy. Uh, he gave instruction in the Sermon on the Mount about how to do it in such a way that you don't get killed. Because if you chose violent uh, reaction against the oppressor Rome or against religious authorities, it would cost you your life. And so Jesus taught ways uh, to do nonviolent re resistance, turning the other cheek, going the extra mile. Uh, these are just a couple of examples of that. Uh, and they were powerful. So people were one to this. So he had quite a crowd who were excited to hear this. And just remember, the way of Jesus was different than would-be other messiahs who were wanting to call people to arms, hoping that God would join them in the fight and they would overthrow Rome, Rome in some kind of crazy fashion, like, like in the days of old with the Exodus. That's what a lot of people were really hoping for. But that's not the method of Jesus. Jesus came with a very different message, that God primarily is love and loving, uh, that God is really for everybody, maybe even especially those who have been kicked around a lot uh, by human beings, lepers, uh, people who are paralyzed, the blind, um, people who've made tough choices out of their own accord like tax collectors, or people who probably were forced into terrible choices like prostitutes. He's with those people, and he welcomes them, uh, and he shows God's grace to all these people. And people were one to that. They're like, yeah, we want more of that. And so they're lining the streets and celebrating this. They're throwing their cloaks down. Uh, they're waving palm branches, think rally rags, you know, at a Warriors game or a Giants game. So <laughs> they got their rally rag going and they're throwing their cloaks down. That's like rolling down the red carpet for Jesus. That's kind of what they're indicating here. We're, we're wanting to honor you uh, in this way that everybody can see and we're a part of it. And isn't it all wonderful? But we have to also just realize that even those who are most for uh, this peaceful Jesus rolling in, that because of the time that they lived in, there had to be at least a percentage to how much of a percent we don't really know for all of them. But there had to be a percentage of them that was all for the peace, but kind of would be really okay with Jesus if he totally changed it up, you know, halfway through the week and called down angels from heaven somehow and wiped all the Romans out, and they were back on top again. He's probably totally cool with that. There's a little part of them that wants that, because that's human nature. Uh, we, we gravitate toward power in that kind of a way. And so certainly there were people there, and we know that they were there, and they, we know that they were probably going to be frustrated, because we have a couple pieces of evidence that that actually happened. One is, at the very end of the week, not that long later, uh, Jesus is on a false trial, uh, and uh, the crowd is being asked, what do you want to do with Jesus? And some of the people who were probably in that procession, probably on the sidelines, some of them anyway, not all of them, but some of them were saying, crucify him, along with mostly Jerusalem folk who are there. Let's get rid of this clown, they're saying. They go from, you're our king, to crucify him within a week. 
And I think it's because of that tension that they had. We love the peace, but we'd really like to see Rome overthrown. And of course, we know that at least one person in particular really had trouble with it, and his name was Judas. So here's a guy who heard the peace message the whole way, but probably was still hoping, as a lot of people did, that it was going to turn violent, and somehow God was going to do an incredible thing, and they were going to come out on top. And when Judas finally figured out that that was just not going to happen, he sold Jesus out. Like, I give up. I'm, I'm, I'm getting off this ship, because I could see where it's headed. And the reason I bring this up is I, I just want to suggest that we all share that same humanity. That there's a part of us, in fact, I would say most of us here today really resonate with that nonviolent, peaceful, resistor Jesus, that sunshine and hugs Jesus, <laughs> you know, that welcomes us, loves us, is forgiving and graceful and encourages us to be that way with others. But we're human beings. And so I think we also struggle with the same tension they did then. And I know that this is a cultural reality uh, because there are many people who profess their faith, celebrate the peace of Jesus, celebrate shalom, and yet are waiting for the day uh, when that final verse of how great thou art shows up. When Christ shall come with, with a sound of acclamation and calls me home, uh, what joy will fill my heart? And one of the pieces that is echoed in theology today is, yep, he's going to welcome me home, but there's a whole lot of people he's not going to welcome home. And I'm glad I'm not one of them. And I don't really care about them because I'm going to be okay. And so we still have this floating around in our, in our cultural ethos of Jesus as peace giver, and yet he's going to return and he's bringing a sword. He's going to be on a stallion and he's going to kick some serious butt. And there's a part of us that really wants that to happen as we imagine all the people that we think deserve that. You see what I'm saying? So I just want to lay that out on the table, that that is with us. This is part of the human experience. And we have to decide a little bit this week, well, which Jesus are we choosing to follow? Because if you've seen the movie, you know how this story ends this week, <laughs> right? We're heading toward Good Friday, uh, which is not that good. Uh, probably the poorest, poorest named day in the year, <laughs> right? Not a Good Friday, uh, especially for Jesus. I mean, I get the whole idea, but uh, we know where this thing's headed. And we know that Jesus is saying, come and follow me. And we know where Jesus is headed. So it just begs the question, are we cool with that? Do we really want that Jesus? The other piece to see here, uh, just final nerd note, and then uh, we'll get on to my two questions about what's your cloak and where's it spread, uh, has to do with the Pharisees' comment. Shut them up, Jesus. Tell them to be quiet. Other, uh, because they're, what they're doing is wrong. It's blasphemous. It's, it's insurrection in a blatant kind of a way. And Jesus says, you know what? Uh, if they didn't cry out, the rocks would cry out. And here's what I would say about that. I think the rocks were crying out anyway. I think they were crying out anyway. I think all of creation has this reality uh, with us that, um, that sings the glory of God. If we really believe in a panentheistic understanding of God, that not that everything is God, but that God is in everything, everything is in God everywhere. God cannot not be anywhere because everything is in God. That's, that's what panentheism is about. And the Bible speaks into this and definitely speaks into, uh, into this reality of the, of the, you know, the, the trees of the, of the field, the, the clapping their hands together. 
you know, I just came back from Yosemite. It's the best time of year, April, May, to go to Yosemite because they turn on the waterfalls and it's, it's really lovely. So, but when you're there, uh, went to Carrie's favorite spot where John Muir built his house and he has this nice little rock there with a, uh, a poem that I know Carrie could recite. And Lynn and I just were there and just quiet. Everybody else left and we just got quiet. And when you're quiet, you realize just how much life is buzzing around you and how much you are a part of this much greater thing. So I think I want to suggest, to you, that, you know, even if you don't believe in God, creation does. And creation is constantly singing the praises of God. And so it's a good idea to get into creation a little bit, uh, because you'll be surrounded by the chorus of the praise of God in ways that might just blow you away. Just food for thought. Okay, well, this week, uh, I would... I was thinking about these things. What is your cloak and where is it spread? And I saw this interview of John Batiste. Uh, he's really well known uh, because he's the musician uh, for, uh, for Colbert, uh, one of the late night shows. Uh, and he's a fantastic musician. Well, this past Sunday at the Grammys, uh, he took five Grammys. He was nominated for 11. Uh, have any of you seen the animated film Soul? Highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's awesome. Uh, it's wonderful. It will ground you kind of like It's a Wonderful Life can ground you. It's a wonderful film. And Batiste wrote all the music for it. Uh, it's jazz kind of stuff. Really, really good. There was so much in this, uh, this interview that I wanted to bring it to you and then riff on it a little bit with these two questions in light of Palm Sunday. So uh, let's hit the next slide and enjoy this interview. Grammy nominee, John Batiste is a musician whose work and story you may think you know well. Prepare to be surprised and inspired. Here's Jim Axelrod. When this year's Grammy nominations were announced. Hello to you, I'm Gail King. And John Batiste heard his name 11 times. John Batiste. John Batiste. John Batiste. The most of any artist this year. Eight for his album, We Are. And three for his work on the soundtrack of the movie Soul. They just kept calling your name. I was really floored every single time. We Are demonstrates his extraordinary range. When I move my body just like this, I don't know why, but I feel like From his funky New Orleans roots, heard on the track Freedom, that dares you not to dance. To the classical jazzy hybrid, Movement 11. You said God gave us 12 notes. Yes. What did you do with those 12 notes on these two albums that is responsible for such a claim? I've always thought that you have a sound and the sound represents something. Like you hear, you hear this sound. Or you hear this sound. You hear this sound. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The music is always speaking to you. If you're listening, it's telling you what to do. It's not what did I do with it, it's what did it tell me to do. The most honored artist this year with 11 nominations is Mr. John Baptiste, right there. Best known for his day job, the band leader on The Late Show is Stephen Colbert. 
John Batiste is no one's wingman now. Well, this is his moment. What a year. <laughs> yes, indeed. Amen. But if you're thinking things couldn't be any better for John Batiste, don't. One thing that I've learned from this time is it can all go away. Things can change very quickly. From one day to the next, your world can be turned upside down. Eight days before the nominations, on the eve of his 35th birthday, the love of his life, author Soleika Jawad, got sucker punched. How are you? Yeah, a lot has changed in a year. We first met Soleika last year as she was launching her bestseller, Between Two Kingdoms, a wise and moving meditation on healing from the leukemia that interrupted her life in her 20s. Are you healed? To say that I'm healed uh, would be to imply that there's an end point. How prophetic that turned out to be. Not only was my leukemia back, but it was far more aggressive than it had been a decade ago. The biggest day of John's professional life last fall was Suleika's first day of chemo in her second battle with cancer. We're sitting in this chemo suite together, and these phone calls of congratulation are coming in, and we're having to hold these two realities. Their world was shaking, but John and Suleika were determined to find their balance. So it's holding the absolutely, you know, gutting, heartbreaking, painful things and, and, and the beautiful, soulful things in the same palm of one hand. And it's hard to do that, but you have to do that because otherwise the grief takes over. Which brings us to this past February and their idea of how to best meet their harrowing reality. You are married. We are married. We've been secret married until this moment. <laughs> we had this tiny, beautiful little ceremony. We didn't have wedding bands. We used bread ties. Together for eight years, the night before her bone marrow transplant struck them as the perfect time to make it official. Okay, this has happened, but this isn't going to interrupt the plan that we had. This is just a bump in the road. And something like getting married can be an act of optimism, an act of declaration, an act of we have a future. Yes, it's an act of defiance. The darkness will try to overtake you, but just turn on the light, focus on the light, hold on to the light. But married or not, Omicron meant John couldn't stay with Suleika after the transplant. She was alone, with only her fear to keep her company. It's the quiet moments of kind of hollow suffering in the hospital where you suddenly sit with yourself and you sit with what's happening to you. Utter isolation. Utter isolation. And I expressed something to that effect to John. And next thing I know, I see him hunched over his computer. And half an hour later, he starts playing this lullaby. And every single day after that, he wrote me a new lullaby. And it felt like he was right there, you know, sleeping by my bedside. They had healing property to the music. That you wrote just for her right 
to provide support and strength? Yes, absolutely. And to fill the room with these healing properties. For me, that's my way. Everybody will have their way, you know, but seek that. Meditate on that. Focus on those things. Um, find those things. They are now both finding those things, confronting the worst by relying on their best. Finding some form of creative expression to express what feels impossible to express, to express the unendurable has been so important. So Laika's focus is on the serious. Wow. Painting self-portraits, depicting her treatment. You're fearless. And the whimsical. We have yet to name her. Bedazzling the walker she now uses at the age of 33. So now instead of looking at this walker and feeling a sense of dread, it kind of makes me happy. As for John, next month at Carnegie Hall, he debuts American Symphony, his work reflecting the tension between America's ideals and its realities, our bright day and our dark night. The night theme, it evokes a, a, a chant-like quality. Oh, 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 oh. And then you have this. You know, there's oh, ah, da, da. that's the day. That sense of triumph, triumph of adversity. A theme that captures the full sweep of John Batiste's and Suleika Jawad's lives right now. That rotation between triumph and adversity. They say, <laughs> yes. And that's what you're living right now. The brightness of this professional, all of these achievements, and the darkness of the struggle. Yeah, that's life, man. That's it. Strap in. Strap in. Yeah, I love that. There's so much in that interview. Uh, if you want to watch it again, it's linked on my blog today, which releases at 12. And uh, you can also search it on YouTube, uh, John Batiste, CBS interview. Really, really rich stuff. And some of the things that just jumped out at me that I just want to throw at you to, to chew on a bit. He talked about our 12 keys, that everybody gets 12 keys, the 12 keys on the piano. Uh, and we all get to pick what we're going to play. You are playing a song. Uh, my question is, do you know what you're playing? And are you choosing what you're playing? Because there's a difference there, isn't there? Uh, and what we're invited to do is to have some intentionality about what song we're actually playing. And we have this one that we call Jesus, who we're, we are saying with our presence here today and joining the throng on Palm Sunday, we are saying, we want you to be our conductor. We want you to be our music teacher. Help us know how to play our 12 notes. We're all going to sound different. We all come at this differently, but we're trusting you to direct us on how to play these 12 notes most beautifully, the right tune for the moment. And my question for you is just simply, are you aware that you're playing a song? And what song are you playing? And who's directing 
your music? Because that's an important question for people who claim to follow Jesus. Are we following the director with our lives and the song that we're playing? The other really cool thing that Batiste uh, said, which is just really profound, he almost had a spiritual quality to it, talking about the music speaks to us, the music leads us. And as soon as he was saying that, I was just wondering about that and watching him play and wondering about, you know, how he's able to capture so much uh, emotion uh, in the notes that he's playing with his 12 notes. And his idea of the music taking us somewhere that maybe we didn't anticipate before. I mean, that's jazz. That's how jazz works, is you listen to the music, and it, it takes you places where you, you did not manufacture. It's a, it is a spiritual kind of a thing. And it reminded me of Paul talking about the Spirit of God, uh, using groans too deep for words uh, to pray on our behalf. And I thought, man, I wonder if that's a little bit kind of like that. And so my question for you is, are you, are you letting the music lead you? I don't want to get all doobie brothers, but are you listening to the music to let it, <laughs> to let it take you somewhere uh, and allowing it to take you where it needs to go? I think some of us are really cool with this for certain genres. So we might want a really peppy song, and we're cool to let the music take us that way and help us dance a little stronger, or maybe songs of triumph where we love a good march or whatever makes us feel on top. But I wonder if we're not quite so willing to let the music lead us into our sorrow, into our griefs, our disappointments, our anger, our hurt, and maybe we really need to. Maybe we need to let that song play and lead us somewhere. Because could it be that God is actually good? Could it be that God is actually a restorer of souls? And could it be that allowing that song to lead us might lead us to our own healing? It's scary. We don't know where the song is going to go. But we can trust God. And if taking the song's lead will lead us to freedom from our suffering, from our anger. It's worth it, isn't it? Something to think about. I love this defiance thing, uh, that his marriage to his now wife was an act of defiance, not determination, defiance. Like, we know something might be coming down the road, but we are not going to give up on our love, our plans, our hopes, and our dreams together. We're not going to give up on that. We're going to go forward, come hell or high water is what they're saying, right? Defiant. And I think about that for us as Jesus people, if we are Jesus people fully, and really trusting uh, what Jesus truly modeled in his last week of life which was nonviolent resistance for change. <laughs> I'm not going to say a word uh, when I'm being challenged. I'm going to let them beat me up. I'm not going to swing back. That's the way they're playing it. That's not the way I'm playing it. And he chooses to go in this trusting that it's going to have its effect somehow, which, was, which certainly was celebrated at Easter, but it was bigger than that. It was saying to anybody who would follow him, and certainly Easter, we'll get to that next week, that certainly Easter gave them confidence uh, to move forward in the ways of Jesus, but the disciples collectively got their butts kicked repeatedly in their following of Jesus. 
They're the ones who sang in prison cells, right? They started the, the San Quentin choir, right? You know, all over the place because they just trusted that this is the movement of God and it's not going to come back void. Reminds me of uh, Senator John Lewis, uh, who passed away uh, recently, recent years. Uh, and he was interviewed about uh, five years ago or so by Krista Tippett. And in this interview, um, she asked him about hope. And remember, John Lewis is the guy that uh, was beaten to an inch of his life on the William Pettus Bridge, right? Uh, and the, he wasn't sure he was going to live. And he, he, had a, he was theologically educated. He becomes a senator working for equality and equity in multi, multi, many ways, <laughs> multitudinous ways. And he's also seen a lot. He's got the scars on his body for what he's been through. And so Chris is asking, tell me about your hope. Why, why do you still have hope when we have so much more to do? And he quoted Martin Luther King, who quoted somebody else saying, because he really, really believes that the arc of history leans toward justice. He says, you just have to trust that. And we may not win the day, but God is with us. We got to have faith that that is where things are heading. And I think for Jesus people, I think we're kind of in that place that we stand defiant against the darkness that wants to prevail. The darkness wants to control, wants to win the day, wants to woo us into more darkness, however, that, however we translate that. But I love what, uh, what Batiste said. He said, the darkness will try to overtake you, but just turn on the light, focus on the light, hold on to the light. And I'm remembering that in John's prologue, um, Jesus' life was talking about was talked about as light coming into the world. The light has come into the world, but the darkness did not understand it. The actual wording there, the darkness did not understand it, really uh, means the darkness could not control it. The darkness could not uh, condemn it, could not command it. The darkness was no match for light. So even as we march forward into death, into difficult times, into despair, we do it with defiance, because we know that our momentary blip uh, is not going to be the end of the story, but we are a part of a much bigger, more beautiful, light-filled reality, the kingdom of God. And we're following Jesus as the one who showed us what that looked like to fall into that. And it really matters, uh, because as, uh, as John Baptiste would create a new lullaby uh, for his beloved uh, every day so that she would feel love in the room, isn't that just beautiful? Um, we get to do that with our lives. There's no shortage of darkness in the world, and there's no shortage of people who want to focus on the darkness in the world, but we're people of light. We're people who are guided by the light, blinded by the light. Another good song, but we're, we're these people who are following in the footsteps of Jesus to do extraordinary things like Jesus did in a strangely subversive but effective way of bringing in the kingdom of God, of bringing in the love and grace of God in surprising ways for absolutely everyone. And when we do, it's like shining a beacon of light in a world of darkness. One candle might not seem like that much, but if you are in a, a room that is utterly dark, that one candle is incredibly bright. You get to be that. We get to be that simply by taking our part on Palm Sunday. By the way, Palm Sunday isn't just today. Palm Sunday is tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday 
and Friday and Saturday and every day for the rest of our lives for us to ask the question, how are we going to play our notes as we are celebrating Jesus as the leader of our lives, the director of our notes? How are we, how are we pledging our allegiance to him and following his way? How are we going to let him uh, say to us, I want this music to lead you today for your own good, for your healing. I know you're terrified, but let it lead you to where it needs to go so that my healing grace can be in you and do its good work. How are you going to stand uh, in defiance of the darkness uh, as you move forward? Not giving up hope, but knowing you're a part of something greater. How do you get to be a lullaby to a world that feels hopeless and alone? You get to do this because every day is Palm Sunday, and every day you get to make the decision, what is my cloak, and how am I going to spread it? What is your cloak, and where are you going to spread it? Let's pray together. What a beautiful song. What a beautiful song, God that we experienced emanating through the person of Jesus for his years of ministry, what he taught, what he did, the hope that he gave, who he touched, who he broke bread with, the whole thing, just this beautiful symphony of grace and love and freedom, of walking in awe of you, you, creator of love, you, the very definition of love, the presence of love. You, the one who gives us strength and hope and peace, future, everything. What a gift. What a song. And what a gift that we are allowed, that we are welcomed. We are encouraged to sing along with our 12 notes, to let the song heal us, to sing it in defiance of the darkness, so that we as Jesus, as little Christ walking around, and we get to bring the light in too. So God shine through us. As much as we're able, we give ourselves to you. Again, we lay our cloak before you in recognition of your leadership in our lives and our decision to follow you as best we can. May you have your way with us, God. Now, Crosswalk, I invite you to open your eyes. And on the next uh, slide or two, we have this rendition of the Lord's Prayer uh, that we want to take a look at and pray together out loud. Oh, Bob's ahead of me now. <laughs> Eternal Spirit. Earth maker, pain bearer, life giver, source of all this is and that shall be, father and mother of us all, loving God in whom is heaven. The hallowing of your name echo through the universe. The way of your justice be followed by peoples of the world. Your heavenly will be done by all created beings. Your commonwealth of peace and freedom sustain our hope and come on earth. With the bread we need for today, feed us. In the hurts we absorb from one another, forgive us. In times of temptation and test, strengthen us. From trials too great to endure, spare us. From the grip of all that is evil, 
free us. For you reign in the glory of the power that is love now and forever. Amen.